0: Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you get your podcasts. Progressive presents Forced Metaphors, about bundling your home auto and other vehicles. In hockey, it's the goalie's job to protect the net. And in life, your net is your home and auto, but also your boat, motorcycle, RV, or ATV. And your goalie is the round-the-clock protection offered by Progressive Insurance. Well, it's also the savings you get when you bundle. So in this metaphor, you have two goalies, which is okay because, you know, it's... Just a metaphor. Forced Metaphors. Presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in to the Matt Lombardo Show right here inside Fansided Stacked in the Box podcast feed. I'm Matt Lombardo, Fansided's National NFL Insider. Week four of the NFL season is upon us. Some great games ahead. You have Arizona at LA, maybe the biggest test for both of those teams in what will be a gauntlet of the NFC West race this season. You have the Cowboys and the Carolina Panthers, where we're going to learn a lot about both teams and who's a pretender, who's a real contender for an NFC Championship game berth or more. And of course, you know, the biggest game of the weekend... Buccaneers at Patriots, Brady versus Belichick. We're going to get into all of that and a whole lot more, but before we do, as always, a little bit of housekeeping for you. If you enjoy the podcast, if you really like what you hear, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store to the Stack in the Box podcast. You get Mark Carmen and Matt Vertoram every Tuesday, the Matt Lombardo Show every Friday, and of course, if you really love the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you left those five star reviews. Let me know what you like about the podcast, what you don't like about the podcast, some guests you might want to hear from. And here's the new one. Give me your prediction for MVP of the NFL season. We've now been through three weeks. We're going into week four. Let me know your pick for the MVP of this season. Leave it in a review and I'll read it on next week's podcast. But let's get right down to business. The biggest game of this weekend, one of the biggest games of the NFL season. Now, certainly, these teams aren't on the same level at the moment, but it's the Buccaneers going into Foxborough. It's Tom Brady's return against Bill Belichick, and we've heard all week about what a great reception that Brady's going to get from the fans, how many amazing memories he must have from his time in New England, and all of that is a really interesting backdrop. But there's a subplot that I don't think a lot of people are talking quite enough about, and that is that we've really learned, at least in my opinion, we have really learned the answer to the New England Patriots chicken or egg question that has really dogged this entire dynasty since its beginning. Is Bill Belichick more responsible because of what he was able to do with a sixth-round pick and molding him into the greatest quarterback of all time, a future Hall of Famer? Or was Tom Brady the straw that stirred the drink of one of the greatest dynasties in American sports? And I think, based on what we've seen over the last 12 to 18 months, it's the latter rather than former. And this week, Bill Belichick went on WEEI, the Greg Hill Show. And I think, in some ways, he even admitted that Brady is more responsible. Now, he'll never come out and say it, but I think he even admitted that Tom Brady is more responsible for the success that they had together than he was. Here's the clip. it uh, never changed. So you wanted Tom to re-sign here after the 2019 season? Yeah, well, I think we've been through all the dynamics of that. There were a lot of things there that, you know, he, you know, he he looked at his options and made his decision. We weren't as good an option as uh, Tampa. So, I mean, you'd have to ask him about all that, but that's really, wasn't a question not one, that's for sure. That, of course, courtesy of WEEI. Now, of course, of course, Tampa Bay was a better option in 2020 and 2021 than the New England Patriots were. First of all, I've spoken to agents across the league who represent some pretty high-profile players, some agents who represent New England Patriots players. I've spoken to former players about this who played for the New England Patriots, Playing for Bill Belichick, playing within the structure of the quote-unquote Patriot way takes years off of your career and getting away from that. Now the championships certainly are nice and you're going to look at those championship rings forever and it really made a lot of careers and will put some people in the Hall of Fame, but when players leave New England, they find new life and it's almost as if you get years added onto your career by getting away from there. And you look at Tampa Bay and the situation that Tom Brady left New England for, just from the wide receiver standpoint alone, it was a far better situation than basically he's ever had in New England. Now take away the three seasons that Tom Brady had Randy Moss, right? Because Moss is a Hall of Famer. He's one of the most gifted players to ever play the position, one of the most dynamic wide receivers in the history of the game. And just during his time in New England for those three years, He averaged 1,200 yards per season, and he caught 47 touchdowns. That's pretty dynamic. That's pretty electrifying. That's a nice weapon to have. And the Patriots went undefeated one of those years. But you look at what Brady and the other receivers that he had at his disposal, that he was forced to work with in New England, Julian Edelman only averaged 620 yards per year. He's a cult hero in New England, and rightfully so. He made that huge catch in the Super Bowl against the Falcons. He was one of the better special teams players, one of the more versatile wide receivers they've had roll through Foxborough. But he was never a true number one wide receiver. I don't know that he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. Wes Welker averaged just over 1,200 yards per year, but Danny Amendola never sniffed 1,000 yards, neither did Chris Hogan. And then you look at where Tom Brady wound up. He goes to Tampa Bay and you look at what he had waiting for him. And it's not just how much easier it was to market the TB12 system. It's not just the fact that you're playing your games in Tampa Bay versus in Providence, Rhode Island, for all intents and purposes, in the Northeast. And you're playing down in beautiful, sunny Tampa Bay. But when Tom Brady arrived in Tampa Bay, he had Bruce Arians waiting for him. And in a lot of ways... Arians is cut from the Phil Jackson School of Team Management. He's a guy that, you know, he has his system, he has his motivational abilities, but in a lot of ways, his strength is managing the egos and the personalities and the talents of superstar caliber players. And you look at what he was able to do last year, bringing that team together, a mix of some homegrown talent, Brady and some really high-priced mercenaries, especially on defense, and the way they finished so strongly last year, I give Arians so much credit for what they were able to do, but Tom Brady was the difference maker, and Brady didn't play all that well in the postseason, but he still ran Drew Brees out of his own building. He still went into frigid Green Bay, frigid Lambeau Field, and beat Aaron Rodgers at home for the right to go to the Super Bowl and play the Super Bowl in his home stadium in Tampa. And the weapons that Brady walked into, the supporting cast that he inherited, you can make a case is a lot stronger than anything outside of those Randy Moss seasons that he ever had. Just look at Mike Evans. He's never had a sub-1,000-yard receiving season. Chris Godwin, he's caught 26 touchdowns in four-plus years, and two years ago when he was fully healthy... Over 1,300 yards, you bring Rob Gronkowski along with you, and you have not only a game-altering talent at tight end, again, on the back end of his career playing the back nine, but look at what he did in the Super Bowl. You can make a case with those two touchdowns that Rob Gronkowski was the MVP of that Super Bowl game, or at least had a pretty strong case for it. You look at all of those weapons, you look at a coaching staff that was able to adapt and mold their scheme and their system around Tom Brady's best traits and attributes rather than dealing with Bill Belichick and the Patriot way and having to function within Josh McDaniels' offense for all of those years. It's just a better spot. It's a better existence. And I know that these are two franchises that in a lot of ways were headed in opposite directions. And last year you had the plan, if you're in New England, of trying to win around Cam Newton. And you thought that you had enough pieces that you could win without Tom Brady. That didn't work out all that well. And again, it's only one season. It's a small sample size. And who knows how many more years Bill Belichick is going to ride it out. They have Mac Jones, who has shown some promise but certainly made a lot of rookie mistakes. But in his first season without Tom Brady, Bill Belichick and the Patriots go 7-9. and nine. Brady goes on and wins a Super Bowl. Again, it's a small sample size. And there's a lot still to be learned, not only on Sunday night, but in coming seasons, about just the trajectory of the rest of Bill Belichick's career compared to the rest of Tom Brady's. But the early returns... Based on the better situation in Tampa Bay, based on how Belichick has or hasn't been able to move on to life without Tom Brady, it's hard not to come to the conclusion that Brady was more vital and more integral and more important to the Patriots' success than Bill Belichick was. Take, take nothing away from Bill Belichick. You still won six Super Bowls. You still went to nine of them. I mean, You look at what you were able to do together. It's one of the great dynasties, if not the greatest dynasty in the history of American sports. But the most vital cog in that machine... Might have been Tom Brady. And I think that that's another area where you can kind of find some fault in the way that Bill Belichick has built his program, that he's kind of always viewed Tom Brady as just another cog. And we found out after the year that Tom Brady had a year ago, the start that he's off to this season, already passing for nearly 1,100 yards with 10 touchdowns to two interceptions, I think we're starting to find out just how important and just how vital Tom Brady was to the Patriots' success. With that said, I'm really excited to see what happens on Sunday night because the Patriots still have a really dominant and disruptive passing defense, especially in the secondary. And you look at kind of what has gone on with the Buccaneers over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, that that shootout with Dallas, I thought, really tested the mettle of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be able to withstand the punches and counter punches that Dak Prescott and that offense threw at them. I thought that was a real character win. You almost hang 50 on Atlanta. That is what it is. But going into LA and losing 34 to 24 last week, this is a big game. It's a big game for Tom Brady. It's not a conference game, so it doesn't carry quite as much weight in terms of you know, home, the right for home field advantage and the race for the number one seed in the NFC. I think the Rams are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. We're going to talk about it a little bit later on, but I think the Dallas Cowboys are in that hierarchy. I think that the San Francisco 49ers have a real Super Bowl case, and you can't count out the Green Bay Packers based on the way they came ripping and tearing and roaring back in the final 90 seconds of that game against San Francisco in Santa Clara. You can't count the Packers out. But the Buccaneers, to me, are still the team to beat in the NFC. And Brady has a chance to show why in his former stomping grounds against his former head coach, a place that he's won six Super Bowls, he gets to prove that he was the reason the Patriots were so successful. On the other side, we'll get into why the Dallas Cowboys have climbed into that Super Bowl hierarchy next, right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside fan sided Stack stacked-in-the-box podcast feed. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app, and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show, and a team that we've talked a lot about on this podcast over the past couple of weeks, ever since the season opener, is the Dallas Cowboys. And I think that they're one of the more interesting teams in the league, certainly from a talent standpoint, certainly from their situation within their division. And let's be real, they're the Dallas Cowboys. But a lot of the talk about the high expectations for Dallas this year really centered around their explosiveness on offense. And that really had almost everything to do with Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott, and how hard they are to defend and just how taxing they are to a defense. But Monday night against the Eagles in a 41-21 shellacking that was never really that close. I think in that game, Dallas kind of played their way into the championship pantheon. And it's not just because of the talent they have, but if you look at their schedule and you look at their balance... They're just a really tough team to beat, and I'm not sure how many more times they're going to be tested this year. Now, Sunday's a huge game against the Carolina Panthers, who are unbeaten. Brian Burns is off to a fantastic start for the Panthers. But I think that we've kind of overlooked over the last couple of seasons, and certainly through the first few weeks of this season, a real weapon for the Dallas Cowboys, and that's tight end Dalton Schultz. I wrote pretty extensively in my column this week on Wednesday on fansided.com. Go check it out if you didn't get a chance to read it yet. But Dalton Schultz, since the start of last season, has had better numbers than the likes of Robert Tanyan, Dallas Goddard, Evan Ingram. Ingram went to a Pro Bowl last year. Who knows why? Who knows what voters saw in Ingram for that season a year ago where he had eight drops But Dalton Schultz has been more prolific than all of those guys. Just think back to the start of last season. Dallas Goddard has caught 54 passes for 656 yards and four touchdowns. Tanyan, 58 catches, 652 and 12 touchdowns. Tanyan is a real red zone end zone vulture. And Evan Ingram has 65 catches for 675 yards and one score. Again, somehow he went to a Pro Bowl last year. But over that same span... Dalton Schultz has 77 catches for 756 yards and six touchdowns. Look, for all of the weapons that we talk about all the time for the Dallas Cowboys, if you can continue to turn Dalton Schultz and Blake Jarwin, your two tight ends, into legitimate pass-catching weapons, I don't know how many defenses in the league are going to be able to keep up with that. I don't know how many defenses in the league are going to be able to stop that. Because make no mistake... The Dallas Cowboys success or failure really hinges on Dak Prescott and how far the offense can take them. But in today's NFL, in the age of complementary football, that's really vital to competing. You need to have a defense that can complement your offense and vice versa. Suddenly, the Dallas Cowboys are starting to build a pretty strong young foundation. They've started to find that formula of how to win games. I mean, look, just take a glance at Micah Parsons and what he's doing. Micah Parsons is already among the most dominant defensive players in the league. Not just rookies, but defensive players, period, full stop. Watching Micah Parsons, it's kind of easy. As a Penn State guy, it's kind of easy to let your mind wonder, what would have happened if James Franklin and Penn State would have just left Micah Parsons at defensive end when he arrived in Happy Valley? As a five-star defensive end, the number one player at his position in his recruiting class, what if Franklin and Brent Pry, the Nittany Lions defensive coordinator, would have just left him there? It's kind of easy to wonder how that would have worked out. Now, it turned out okay. They turned him into an inside linebacker. He became a first-team All-American in just two years. And had he not opted out last season, who knows what 2020 would have held in store for both Micah Parsons and Penn State. But that's neither here nor there. He winds up in Dallas as the number one overall pick, and the Cowboys, they have to like what they saw in the opener. I know that Tom Brady kind of picked on him a couple of times. He let Chris Godwin get behind him in the end zone for that touchdown in week one, but if you look at what Parsons has been able to do, both as an inside linebacker and then when Dallas moved him to defensive end out of necessity with all of the injuries they were facing up front, he's turned out to be pretty unblockable. He's kind of started to lap the Defensive Rookie of the Year field. He's kind of running away with that award almost a quarter into the NFL season. Pro Football Focus gives Parsons an 89.6 pass rush grade. He has an 87.6 overall grade. And, And here's what's been most impressive in my opinion. Michael Parsons has already generated 15 pressures in 73 pass rush snaps. That's just over 20% of his pass rush snaps. That's generating pressure on almost one out of five pass rushes. That's almost unheard of. And he already has a couple of sacks this year. And because of his background and because of his versatility, the Cowboys can then move him from defensive end to inside linebacker in a snap. It's all it takes. And you're going to really confuse some offensive lines. You're going to be able to really play some head games with some quarterbacks who now have to identify where exactly number 11 is pre-snap and where he's going to be after the snap. He's kind of a Swiss Army knife of an ultimate weapon on defense. Parsons has two sacks through three games. If he keeps up that pace, he'll get 11 and a half this year. I reached out to an NFC personnel director on Thursday and just said, hey, what do you think of Micah Parsons so far? He just texted me back and said he's a stud, not just at linebacker, but also at defensive end. He's very impressive for a rookie who didn't even put on pads last year. But the Cowboys defensive success so far, it's not just Micah Parsons. For as dominant as he's been, he's not the only Cowboys rookie who's been showing out through the first quarter of the season. He's not the only defensive player who looks like he's a young foundational centerpiece on that side of the ball. Osa Odigawuza, he's really been a revelation for that Cowboys defensive line. He had one and a half sacks on Monday night against the Eagles. He has two sacks so far this season, 10 pressures so far. And if you branch out and you kind of look at that Cowboys defense as a whole so far, you start talking about Micah Parsons, Osa Odigawuza up front, Trayvon Diggs playing the best football of his career. He has just been absolutely dominant and a lockdown corner for that Cowboys defense. Jalen Smith is thriving. Leighton Van Der Esch is playing a lot better in a limited role when you can kind of move him around the same way that you move Micah Parsons around. And you start to think about the Dallas Cowboys and what they've been able to do. They already have a division win against the Eagles. They already went toe-to-toe with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They survived in Los Angeles against a really good Chargers team, beating Justin Herbert and company on the road. And you start to think, this is a team that could make a run. This is a team that could make a run in the NFC East where there really is no threat. You saw on Monday night that the Philadelphia Eagles Don't have much of an identity with head coach Nick Sirianni. I don't know that he's in over his head, but he certainly doesn't have a grasp of how to use his offensive personnel, only giving Miles Sanders two carries. And he averaged 13.5 yards per attempt. You barely got the ball to Devonta Smith. And Jalen Hurts... He can't throw outside the numbers. There were a couple of throws in that game where it was a front shoulder throw on a back shoulder route that got him in a lot of trouble. He bounced some balls to receivers. And you just have to wonder if the Eagles were among the bigger threats to the Cowboys, how much easier is Dallas's road? The Washington football team went up to Buffalo and got embarrassed. They're a team that was supposed to have a really dominant defense. They were supposed to have one of the better front sevens in football. And they've underachieved through the first couple of weeks. And the Giants are an absolute mess. They're going to likely be without Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton on Sunday in a really tough game on the road against the Saints in the first game in New Orleans since Hurricane Ida. So you know that the Superdome is going to be charged up. Daniel Jones has played really well, but it hasn't really mattered. They can't seem to figure out how to get Kenny Galladay involved. Saquon Barkley still doesn't have the full explosiveness that you'd expect him to have at this point in his his rehab, coming back from a a torn ACL last year. And and the Cowboys just look like a team where it's kind of lining up for them to start stacking wins. If they can take care of business against the Panthers on Sunday, it, it gets a little bit easier for them as they go, and they're building a pretty strong resume. So the Cowboys are definitely a team that I think people need to keep an eye on and might not be talking enough about about potentially going to an NFC championship game or more than that. Dak Prescott has played really well. He has all the weapons around him. And if this defense continues to play at the level that it's been playing at, look out for the Dallas Cowboys. On the other side, we'll take your questions going into week four, look ahead to some of the biggest games of the weekend, and a whole lot more right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fan sided Stacked in the Box podcast feed. Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show. And not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but next week should be a lot of fun. Matt Ryan will join us, a couple other surprise guests coming down the pike next week has a chance to be an all-timer. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please go ahead and subscribe to the Stack in the Box podcast inside the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, all of your favorite podcast platforms. And before we look ahead to week four and some of the big games that I'm looking forward to the most, I want to answer some of your questions that you posed out there on Twitter. We'll kick things off with a question from Kyle Taggart at Hi Kyle Taggart on Twitter. His question is, will the Giants go winless this season? And, you know, it's a really fascinating question, Kyle, because I wrote about this on G-Men HQ for Fansided earlier this week. There's a very real chance the Giants go into their Week 10 bye at 0-9. They've kind of gone through the easy part of their schedule, opening up with the Denver Broncos and then getting the Washington football team and the Atlanta Falcons in back-to-back weeks the last two games, losing on a pair of back-breaking last-second field goals. But there's a really viable chance here that they wind up going 0-17. I don't think it's likely. I think that they wind up getting a win somewhere along the way. But the problem is they now have the fourth hardest schedule remaining of any team in the league. The good news for the Giants is they get the Eagles twice. They might not win their first game before they play them Thanksgiving weekend, though. They might be 0-9, and if that's the case, I really do wonder if Jason Garrett is still the offensive coordinator, if Joe Judge is still the head coach, he would be the third consecutive coach the Giants move on from in two years or less following Ben McAdoo being fired in the latter weeks of the 2017 season, Pat Shermer being two and done. But who knows? The way things are trending with Joe Judge, you're now hearing questions about whether his conditioning methods are leading to more soft tissue injuries. You're starting to see this team find new ways to lose rather than win. But just getting back to the question at hand here, The Jaguars, Jets, Giants, and Lions are the only teams without a win so far this season, and the Giants have one of the hardest schedules remaining. The Jets have the sixth easiest schedule, and they still play the Falcons and the Texans. Maybe the Jets are favored in one of those games. Maybe they win one of them. They still get to play Atlanta. I think there's real hope that the Jets might even get a win before the Giants do. And oh my goodness, if you thought John Mara was pissed... If you thought John Merrill was mad when he threw those trash cans allegedly after the loss to the Falcons, what happens if the Jets beat Atlanta and get a win with Zach Wilson throwing more turnovers and more interceptions than anybody in the league has seen in some time? If the Jets get a win before the Giants do, look out. And then you have the Lions, who have the 11th hardest schedule. They still play Atlanta as well. They get the Bears twice. So I think if I were trying to figure out which team has the best chance of going 0-17, I got to put the Jets at the top of that list because they just seem like they can't figure out how to win, that Zach Wilson just can't figure out how to protect the football. But after the Jets, I think the Lions have a better chance of getting a win. I really believe in what I'm seeing out of Dan Campbell and establishing a winning culture or trying to. The Jaguars have the third easiest schedule of any team in the league. And Trevor Lawrence, we saw it on Thursday night against the Bengals. I know Joe Burrow outdueled him. And what a finish that was, by the way. For a former first-round pick in his second year to see a jailbreak blitz coming on the last play from scrimmage that they're going to be on the field for and to audible out to a tight end screen. That was the savviness and awareness of a 10-year veteran. and, And Burrow... Made it look easy and made the throw. And the Bengals went down and won the game. But I think the Jaguars are building something there with Trevor Trevor Lawrence. There's a good chance they win a game before the Giants do. So it's going to be really interesting times for the New York Giants the rest of the way and seeing how their season finishes out. And I do believe there's a chance that they go 0-17. Not the best chance of anybody left. I think they'll win at least one of those Eagles games. Maybe they steal a game against the Las Vegas Raiders coming to the East Coast. But... Vegas took care of business in Washington. Who's to say they won't take care of business against a, a lesser talented Giants team than they did against the football team? Second question comes from Chris Snyder. Chris checks in. What's more important to the Cleveland Browns' success this season, their defense or Baker Mayfield? And going into this year, I thought Baker Mayfield was one of the bigger question marks among quarterbacks because he really had to have that breakout major top five, top 10 quarterback season to justify the Browns opening up the checkbook and making him one of the five highest paid quarterbacks in the league. But their defense has been outstanding so far this year. They're the third rated defense in terms of DVOA behind the Arizona Cardinals and the Denver Broncos. And yet they still lost in Kansas City. And they lost to the Chiefs in a lot of ways, not just because Patrick Mahomes brought them back, But because Baker Mayfield had that interception and because the Browns kind of faltered offensively in the second half, I I watch the Browns and their defense is just menacing. Looking what they did against last week, the Chicago Bears against Justin Fields, just relentless pressure all day long. The Browns' defense is what it is. It's dominant. We knew it was going to be dominant. We knew the pass rush was going to be one of the five or ten best in the league. We knew that their general manager, Andrew Barry, had put together a dominant, game-altering type of secondary. We knew they were going to be great on defense. What we didn't know was Baker Mayfield. And I think that Mayfield needs to step up and carry this team, not just this year, but into the future. LJ Santa Maria has a really fascinating question. If you were starting a franchise right now today and you could have your pick of either Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert, who do you take? I think it's still Patrick Mahomes. One, he has the Super Bowl championship under his belt. Two, he's been to two consecutive Super Bowls, and I know that he's been in an ideal situation since his arrival, not being forced to play early because they had Alex Smith, having some great infrastructure from Andy Reid and Matt Nagy on that coaching staff, not to mention learning from Smith for a year before going in there with a future Hall of Famer in Travis Kelsey, a top two wide receiver in the league in Tyreek Hill, speed all over the place, I know it's been an ideal situation for Patrick Mahomes, but he's still the most gifted quarterback walking the planet. He's still only 26 years of age. And again, I I love Justin Herbert. I've tweeted this many times. I've talked about it a few different places on radio, on the podcast, written about it. I wrote about him extensively this week in the column. Watching Justin Herbert, I feel like I'm watching a second team all pro quarterback who's getting better every week his poise from the pocket, his arm strength, his accuracy, coming back now and beating the Kansas City Chiefs twice in his career, picking up two fourth-quarter comeback game-winning drives through the first three weeks of the season. Justin Herbert has all the moxie. Justin Herbert has all the talent. Justin Herbert has every skill set that you would want in a franchise quarterback. He's a traditional drop-back passer with enough mobility to make defenses respect it. But I'd still take Patrick Mahomes if I were building a franchise around any quarterback today. The conversation is a little bit tougher. The decision is a little bit harder than maybe I would have expected or a lot of people would have expected. But I think as this season goes along and as Justin Herbert's career unfolds, we're going to start to see a quarterback who develops into being one of the top five to ten quarterbacks, maybe even better than that. In the NFL I think the Chargers really have a winner there and they're starting to put together a great system around him with Keenan Allen as a dynamic number one wide receiver Mike Williams is as good a number two option as there is in the league maybe one of the top two or three red zone options in the NFL and you just look at the teams with the young quarterbacks who are under contract the young quarterbacks who are on their rookie deals you have Justin Herbert in Los Angeles You have Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. You have the Jacksonville Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick in this year's draft. It is such an advantage for those teams to have quarterbacks on their rookie deals, playing at the level that they're playing. And you have Josh Allen in Buffalo just signed his mega deal, but he's still under 26. And you have Kyler Murray. In Arizona, a Cardinals team that looks like it has all the speed and all the weapons in place on both sides of the ball to make a run at the NFC West title and Kyler Murray playing at an MVP caliber level so far this season. You talk about the advantage that those teams have in building around those quarterbacks. It's unbelievable. And I just love watching these young guns thrive every single week. And it's quite telling. I wrote about this in the column this week. You look at the two conferences where you have Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Herbert, Lawrence, all of these young quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson for the Baltimore Ravens, all of these young guns on the AFC side of the bracket. And then in the NFC, it's Aaron Rodgers. It's Tom Brady. It's Matthew Stafford. It's Russell Wilson. It's the old guard. And those young teams with the young quarterbacks have all the cap space in the world to keep building around them. So I think you're going to start to see the disparity in quarterback play between the AFC and the NFC kind of come to fruition, not just in terms of the play of the quarterbacks, but wins and losses. And the teams that are best positioned to compete for Super Bowls in the coming years I think we're on the precipice of the AFC really going on a dominant run here. All right, let's turn the page. Let's look ahead to this week's games, this week's slate, the three games that I'm really looking forward to the most. It's the showdown in the West. It's Arizona against the Rams. We touched on Kyler Murray a little bit and how he's playing at such a high level. Matthew Stafford might be the MVP through the first three weeks of the season. And this is one of their biggest tests. I love what the NFL has done with the schedule this week, pitting the NFC West against each other. Because it's already one of the more talented and one of the deepest divisions in the NFL. Maybe the best in the league, but you have Cardinals, Rams, and Seahawks 49ers. That was a heartbreaking, backbreaking loss for the San Francisco 49ers last week. But I thought you saw enough through three quarters of that game Jimmy Garoppolo showed that he is still the answer for the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan is still a top head coach in the NFL, one of the best in the business. They just left too much on the t- time on the clock for Aaron Rodgers to come back. But that Cardinals-Rams game, there's a lot of talk, and rightfully so, especially after beating Tampa Bay last week, that the Rams are the favorite to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC, that the road to the Super Bowl might go through Los Angeles. They get a chance to really once again prove that against a division rival this Sunday. That's going to be a really fascinating game. And then in the 4 o'clock window, you have the Ravens and Broncos. Lamar Jackson, his status for the game is up in the air. The Broncos' defense might be the best in the league right now. Von Miller making a real strong case for defensive player of the year so far this season. That's going to be a great game. Are the Ravens for real? Are the Broncos for real? Can Teddy Bridgewater get it done against the Denver Broncos? That's a game to really keep an eye on. And then kind of underrated Chiefs-Eagles. Look, the Eagles need to bounce back. I think that they have nowhere near the caliber of talent that the Chiefs do coming into Philadelphia. But you got to put up a better offensive showing than you did in Dallas last week, a more balanced offensive showing. And if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, This is like Alabama playing McNeese State. This is like Penn State playing Villanova. This is a get-right game. They, you know, came out with egg on their face last week. They let a division rival come back in the fourth quarter in their building and beat them. Now you get on a plane, you fly cross-country. It's an Eagles team that's banged up, that's reeling, that doesn't really have an identity. If you're the Chiefs, I'd expect them to hang 35, 40 points on the Eagles and feel good about it going into the teeth of their schedule with a game upcoming against the Buffalo Bills that is really going to, we thought at the start of this season, determine home field advantage in the AFC. I think more so it's going to tell us about the ceiling for the Chiefs season, what happens next week against the Buffalo Bills. But they got to get right against the Eagles this week. This was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. Hope you check us out on Twitter. You can follow me at Matt Lombardo NFL. Hope you subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, Spreaker, SoundCloud, all of your favorite podcast platforms to fan sideds the Stack in the Box NFL Podcast. And leave us those five-star reviews. Let me know what you like about the podcast, what you don't like, a guest you'd like to see me go and try to get and this week give me your prediction for the nfl mvp for this season i'll read the best five-star reviews on the podcast next week matt ryan will join us next friday as well i'm matt lombardo enjoy your weekend everybody enjoy week four i'll talk to you next week right here on the matt lombardo show inside fan-sided stack in the box podcast Feed. Repeat after me. I, Kevin, take you, Susan. I, Kevin, take you, Susan. It's Jamie from Progressive. Jamie! No, it's all right. I can talk. Progressive protects you 24-7, which means you can contact us anytime. Shh. Hmm. I'm getting a loud shh sound, so I'm going to talk louder. What can I help you with today? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Progressive can do that. Shh. There's that noise again. Hold on. Let me put you on speaker. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms.